Good morning. Any men of God and women of God here today? Amen. Amen. Any men of God and women of God here today passionate about the kingdom? Amen. Then we're in the right place. Anyone here today like sports? Mark already asked that question. Yes. President Gorbett. Why do we like sports? I like sports because of the competitive nature of sports. Any competitors here today? Isn't winning fun? When they say it doesn't matter who wins or loses, it's usually the person who lost who says that, right? I like to win. In fact, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, grew up in a family business environment, spent my young years working in a plastics manufacturing company. My dad would take me to the factory. And so I just want to be honest with you on the front end that being from Pittsburgh and growing up in a manufacturing environment, I'm a little bit of a straight shooter, if you know what I mean. I'm not the most polished guy in the world, so I'm going to just kind of lay it out to you today. Blue collar, Pittsburgh manufacturing style. My father also coached my sports teams growing up, and that was a good experience and a bad experience. Uh, The good experience was he was pretty much committed to making me a person who was going to commit to the type of process that would create the type of outcomes of success and and, and winning that that were important in our family of origin. So I grew up in a, what I would call a bottom line culture, process, not outcomes. And and then being a sports fan and being around athletes, I mean, one thing I know about athletes is athletes like to win, and one thing I know about business people is business people like to win, and the thing I know about pastors is pastors like to, do we like to win? Should we care about winning? Or, in fact, I would suggest to you today that we should care more about the bottom line than any athlete Super Bowl winning team or any business in North America or around the world. Are we there? We should care about the bottom line. Does heaven care about the bottom line? In fact, the Bible tells us that when one sinner repents and crosses the line of faith, the Bible tells us that heaven throws a big celebration. Think of an NFL team hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. My hope for you as ministers of the gospel that you would experience something so much greater than hoisting a Lombardi Trophy or celebrating bottom line net profit business results, but that God would use your life, God would use your ministry to depopulate hell. That's the kind of winning that matters. Amen? It's such an honor to be here with Dr. Gorvet. And I, and I, and I, and I mean it, and, and, and Sherry. Um, uh, I was in my early 20s, and really, quite frankly, was struggling to find my way in ministry. I, I, and I gotta be really, really honest, to this day, I'm much more comfortable in environments with, with athletes, and, and very, very comfortable in business environments. Because I find in those environments that maybe 80 to 90% out of 100 are competitive people. And then I get into the church, and we like to sing kumbaya and have holy huddles. I'm just being honest. I'm from Pittsburgh, remember? And so 
as I was sort of trying to find my way, I interned with uh, President Gorvet up in Williston, North Dakota, and it was such, as a young leader, it was such a breath of fresh air because, I mean, every day he would give me a new article or read this book or you got to study what this ministry is doing. And I'm like, wow, this guy likes to win. He, and he would, in fact, I'd walk into the office, he'd say, you're a winner. Does he still do that? <laughs> okay. You're a winner. So um, really, uh, President Gorvet, more than anyone else, and I mean this sincerely, uh, Mark, you really launched uh, me into leadership and missional leadership for the kingdom. So thank you, and it's an honor to be here. Jesus said, since the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God is what? Advancing how? Forcefully. And forceful men and forceful women take hold of it. Raise your hand if you're a forceful man or a forceful woman. Because the only ones who take a hold of it are forceful men and forceful women. Let me read to you the mission statement of this wonderful university. To prepare spiritual leaders for the church of Jesus Christ and specifically for the Wesleyan church, it is driven by the passion of Christ to reach a lost world as expressed in Matthew 9.38. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, I think one of the things that when I speak to spiritual leaders, pastors, um, usually in smaller environments, in consulting types of environments, there's a really big emphasis in the church on developing leaders. I'm all about leadership development. I think we need to develop better leaders, more effective leaders. There's also these days a lot of talk about, um, I'm sure you've heard the phrase missional church. Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase, missional church. A lot of talk about um, missional churches. And what's interesting to me, though, is that with all the focus on, on leadership development and all the focus on missional churches, generally speaking, if we're looking at the scoreboard uh, for the kingdom in terms of how many people are being uh, uh, one with the gospel. Really, the scoreboard doesn't look very good. In fact, let me give you some statistics. We close, in North America, 72 churches a week while only starting 24 churches. No county in North America has a higher percentage of church people than it did 10 years ago. North America is the only continent where Christianity is not growing, and I want you to really dial in for a second. I want you to hear this. Of all the Muslim mosques in the U.S., a full 50% have been started since 9-11. During that same time, only 2% of Christian churches have started. We need competitive leaders. We need more forceful men and women. When Jesus saw the harvest and he prayed that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest field, do you understand that he used the same exact phrasing that he would use to cast out a demon? He didn't say, oh, it'd be great if you like, 
you know, leave the holy huddle. That would be great. He said, we need to cast out laborers into the harvest field. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, let me just turn there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you think the Apostle Paul was a forceful man? He said in chapter 9, verse 19, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to what? Win, say that with me, win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. For what? To to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though, though, though I myself am not under the law. So as to do what? Win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not, have, not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but, I, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to what? Oh, do we have some forceful men and women here? To what? Win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. To what? Win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And here, I love the sports metaphor, back to sport. The apostle Paul says, in, in the context is in spreading the gospel. So understand the context here. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. It matters. We need forceful men and women. We need competitive men and women. We need men and women who realize that they are being sent out into the marketplace, being sent out into the world. And the apostle Paul says, only one person gets the prize. Like, well, I know we live in a culture now where everyone gets trophies. Okay, and everyone gets ordained. And everyone gets assigned to church. I'm not so sure that's a good thing. I'm looking, God is looking, the, the Wesleyan church is looking for men and women who run to win the prize. Don't you love those, like, those sports commercials where it's kind of like a beer commercial when there's like, you know, like these head coaches? And, and the media can drive head coaches crazy because they ask all these questions after a tough loss. I like the one where Herm Edwards is like, hello, you play to win the game. You know what I'm talking about? Hello, or playoffs, playoffs. Who's talking playoffs? We're just trying to win a game. I mean, I'd love like, what if board meetings, church board meetings became that? Church budgets, church budget. I mean, we need to like win a soul around here. I mean, really, Sussex and New Brunswick should be in trouble. Or, no, no, is this, is this holy huddle time? I want to introduce you to my son, Marcus. There you are over there. Stand up there, Marcus. Yes. Yes. Listen, he is a stud. He is a... He, he is growing up to be a fine young man of God, and he's, he's competitive. He's he, he, he growing up in the Williams family. He understands the importance of that, that value system. But what's really cool is we are, we are on, what, day number what? 11, I think, 
11 day of a man trip. It started in Rehoboth Beach. His baseball team finished up their baseball season in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And we, like, we, we do these trips as a family. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my wife and daughter could not join the trip because she has a cross-country meet uh, this, this weekend. Um, but we said, okay, we'll make it a, a man trip. And when we do these trips, we like to have a theme. And so we kind of figured out, you know, what's our theme going to be? And, and, and it all kind of clicked. I thought, okay, we're starting in Rehoboth Beach. We're going from Pittsburgh to Rehoboth. And then we, we're going to drive up the East Coast, go through New York, Boston, Maine, up into New Brunswick. And so we spent all this time researching the best lobster house and seafood places. And sometimes I'm so sick and tired of lobster. I mean, we, like we've been, like we've had how many different lobster rolls that we've had in seafood chowder. So this is like a, the, the, the theme of our trip has been fishing, okay? Like that's been sort of our theme, shell fishing. And I'm sure when we get back to Pittsburgh, we're gonna have some cheeseburgers and french fries and hot wings and you know, things like that, okay? But, but part of, part of what, what I'm praying for on this trip with, with my son is that this focus, this priority of reaching people becomes his primary thing. I know he has the goods. He's a leader. He's competitive. He loves God. He's spiritually sensitive. He's in tune with the Holy Spirit. He has all the things that, that as a parent, you're just so proud. And now it's like, okay, son, I want you to get your head in the game. Because the game is very, very simple. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, come follow me and I will make you what? This is a football, Vince Lombardi said. Let's get back to the basics. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And by the way, before he left, before he left and ascended to heaven post-resurrection and he gave them the great commission, he said, what, go make disciples of who? All nations. That word go in the Greek means go. <laughs> Pretty simple. So I'm here today, I'm not a theologian, I don't know Greek, I don't know Hebrew, but I do know this. I do know that we are called to follow and fish. I know that we are called to go. So I want to, I really struggled with what do I say to 200 future pastors? I mean, I could give you 17 missional church strategies. I could talk to you about the seven qualities of all uh, dynamic spiritual leaders. But you know what struck me? Is I think we're losing ground, those statistics that I laid out. You know why I think we're losing ground? is because most pastors don't have the credibility to rally their congregation for mission. Do you know why? Because most pastors have never even led anyone to Jesus Christ. I used to do um, assessment center uh, uh, assessments. And these were like men and women who were feeling called to start churches. And one of the exercises that we would do is we would have an exercise where you had to present the gospel to someone that you were befriending and through course of time, they were ready to cross the line of faith. I, I mean, I'm like sweating for these men and women because like they could not clearly explain the gospel. Now, listen, I know like when you preach, you might give an invitation and someone, accept, someone accepts Christ or someone, you know, raises their hand. But like for this talk today, we're not going to count that. 
Because one of the most important things that you can ever do as a leader is become a missional Christian first. Then you can become a missional leader, and then you can lead a missional church, and maybe someday God will raise you up to lead a missional movement. But let's not talk about missional movement, and let's not talk about missional church, and let's not talk about missional leadership until we first of all become what? Missional Christians. As I thought about um, my wife and I's ministry, um, Damian Williams is not the best leader. Um, I, am not, I am nowhere near the best preacher or communicator. But all of our ministry adventures, one of the things that has been consistently true is that people have come to faith in Christ because we've been able to rally a team of people to get on mission. And I think the most important reason why we've been able to rally people to be on mission is because they see my example. What right do you have to ask anyone in your congregation to go if you're not going? And like a structured Kingswood University missions trip, we're not gonna quite count that. We, we do a lot of structured stuff really, really well. Well, I'm talking about the real, organic, roll your sleeves up, be in the trenches, kingdom stuff that comes from the heart. Oh, I'm sure you're much better at talking about fishing than I am. I'm sure we could give some incredible three-point sermon exegesis issues on fishing. But do we fish? Do we fish? Okay. I really want you to be a missional Christian before you become a missional leader. And I believe President Gorbett, that's what you saw in my heart. He saw, he used to say, wild man, uh, you're making me nervous, wild man. <laughs> you remember that? It's like, it's like I, I can't believe you have me speaking here today. <laughs> I know Sherry's over there praying. Lord, you gotta get him through this. <laughs> but see, I'm a first-generation believer. I won't, go into my, I won't go into my story, but after I became a believer, I led my mother to Christ, my older brother, my younger sister, my father eventually became a Christian. Now, I, I could go back and tell you stories from my teen years of, of impacting my high school with the gospel. But see, here's the other key thing. It's not so much about what you did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, because a lot of people have stories. You know, it's like when you first become a Christian, you're so excited. Why is it that the longer we're Christians, the less excited we are about sharing the gospel? I mean, really, like, I even like pastors go, oh, those new believers, we gotta like really leverage those new believers because they're the ones that are excited about sharing the gospel. It's like, wait a second. God loves lost people more than I will ever love lost people. For God so loved the world that he, he, I mean, he, he gave his one and only son. The word became what? Flesh and made his dwelling among us. God is a God of mission. God cares about every single person who's bound to an eternity in hell. And so the number one sign, I believe, of spiritual maturity is simply this. It's not how often you go to church. It's not how well you can raise your hands during worship. It's not even how well you can talk about all the latest trends in church space. Is your heart, is my heart for lost people increasing or decreasing? I want you to just do an honest 
internal heart assessment on that question. Is my heart for lost people increasing or decreasing? Let's talk about fishing. I want to just close today with three or four points on fishing. We've already alluded to this fact. Number one, fishing is a serious sport. People who don't know Christ die and go to hell. I know we don't talk about hell, and we have leaders in the church today that talk about how love always wins. Okay? But, like, that's the reality. Every single person that we lay eyes on, every single person here in Sussex who doesn't know Christ spends eternity in hell. It's serious business. So because it's serious of business, we have to ask the question, who sets the agenda for the church? Who sets the agenda for the church? Because a lot of you, you're going to go into churches who believe that you are there to serve them. Luke chapter 15, Jesus said, like, if there's a shepherd and, like, one sheep leaves the pen, he says, like, that shepherd is so committed to that one who's lost that he leaves the 99 in pursuit of the one. I call it the one over the 99 principle. We can never lead a missional church until we have people in our churches who understand that the church budget and the church program and the church building and the church priorities and the church focus are not about serving the 99. Amen? Now, let me give you like a little, this is like a little tip. I always did this when I was interviewed. I would always ask the question, who sets the agenda here? They'd say, well, the, the, the local board of administration. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Um, well, the pastor. We're, we're a staff-led church, board-advised. Wrong answer. The Holy Spirit sets the agenda for the church. And if the Holy Spirit is setting the agenda for the church, I can promise you that the one over the 99 principle kicks in. So just be honest. When you're being interviewed, say, well, I just need to know. Because like, if you hire me, you're going to hire a wild man. You're going to hire a forceful man. And so I just need to know, like, if I'm going to be here and my job is to keep like, all the sheep happy, like, I'm going to be miserable and you're going to be miserable. Like, isn't that cool? You can like, have those. Listen, don't be so desperate for a job that like, you'll say anything to get one. Let me give you another little secret. Jesus didn't die to give you a career. Amen? He died so that men and women would be on mission, would be missional believers in the world, would raise up other missional leaders, would lead missional churches, and missional churches would create missional movements. That's why he died. Fishing is serious, serious business. You know, another thing about fishing is that it's serious enough that we should not water down the message. You know, it's like I grew up in the contemporary church movement. The church that I attended when I was a teen years, like we thought victory in Jesus was contemporary. Like I knew all the hymns. I actually missed the hymns. I liked, I, I liked the hymns. Okay, power in the blood, victory in Jesus, okay. It's like I'm all into that stuff, Okay. And then, you know, in my college years, I'd go visit churches like Willow Creek and Saddleback, and, uh, and now we have some awesome churches in the Wesleyan Church, like 12 Stone and, and Keith Lloyd's Church. Uh, Ken Murphy was here, Cypress. These are awesome churches. 
And I, and I celebrate the fact that in the Wesleyan church, these, these, these model churches are not watering down the gospel. But let me tell you what's happening in, in kingdom space these days. And it's very concerning to me. We went from traditional churches to contemporary churches, and now like everyone has a goatee, and everyone has to drink coffee on the platform, and we have to have like really great staging and, and sound systems, and, and like that's great. Like that's cool. Like if you want to be like a goatee wearing latte drinking pastor, that's great. Like I'm cool with that. Right, Dr. Wilson? Like that's cool. But here's the deal. Like in, in my neck of the woods in Pittsburgh, Every time there's a new church that starts, I want to go check it out. I want to see what's going on. And in the last three years, there have been four churches that our family has visited. And we gave each one of these churches. Um, a lot of these churches are being started by, you know, mainline denominations. Um, and each time, we went six weeks. And you know what we never heard in, like, in these churches? We never heard the mention of the blood of Jesus. Everyone say the blood of Jesus. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Like, we don't, like heard, I heard some really good like motivational talks. I, I, mean, I could see, I would look around, people were laughing and smiling, people were having a good time. But listen, like, I don't care how big a church gets, if there's no gospel, there shouldn't be a church there. Fishing is a serious sport, and so we need to be clear about who sets the agenda in the church. And listen, listen, your, your generation, like everyone wants to be politically correct and love always wins and all of this stuff. I'm afraid that we're going the other extreme. We went from like traditional and we're never going to change and we need to come out and be separate, okay, to now it's like we just live like the world lives. Let's talk about the drinking issue. By the way, I've been, um, I haven't been actively involved in the Wesleyan Church through Leadership League. I've been consulting with a lot of Baptist groups and, and um, denominations that are, that are, that are non-Wesleyan. And, you know, the other, you know, the other thing that's becoming cool right now in, in, in church is like pastors who like to drink. Now, I'm not gonna ask you if you like to drink. Um, but seriously, like, like pastors are drinking. We were, uh, Leadership League was consulting with a massive mega church out west I won't say the name because you probably know the church and you probably have read the books. And we were helping them develop their campus multiplication strategy and helping them raise funding sources for that mission. And so we invited their senior leadership team to Pittsburgh and introduced them to business leaders and athletes that we've been ministering to. And with the goal of creating what we call revenue release platforms into kingdom space. And um, I got to tell you, I was just absolutely astounded. The weekend turned into a fiasco. You've heard me tell this story, Mark. These pastors from this model megachurch for a weekend straight, all they did was get blasted with these business people. Now, one of them was a person, one business person was one that I had led to Christ about a year prior to this who, who I knew had a struggle with alcohol. And so, can I suggest something to you? You don't have to act like a fish in order to catch fish. And I hope, and I have no political agenda here at all because I'm outside of the Wesleyan. I hope the Wesleyan Church never drops its stand on drinking. 
in my company, Leadership League, none of our employees are allowed to drink. Do you know why? I haven't seen anything positive happen around drinking. Do you know, do you know how many affairs and sin issues are basically fueled by this thing called alcohol? And the Wesleyan stance has always been if society would be better off if it didn't exist, that's probably a good thing to avoid. And I'm telling you, as one who lives, first generation believer and one who lives in the world every day, okay, I can tell you that nothing good comes from drinking. That wasn't in the notes, President Gorbat. Fishing is a serious sport. Fishing is a contact sport. I mean, I think about this. Like, if you and I, as Marcus and I were coming up the coast, and as we've, in our neck of the woods, they do more trout and stream fishing, but can you, like, if someone was, like, on the shoreline or, like, out in the boat looking at all the fish out there and going like this, here, fishy, 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 fishy. Here, help me out now. Here, fishy, 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 fishy. Like, we're, we, we should be pretty good at this because this is kind of like what we do every Sunday. Oh, come on, let's, let's, let's just do it for, let's like, hee, fishy, 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 fishy. Let's seriously come into our boat. Like, we got beautiful wood in here and like, look at our, like, we, we, we got it. I mean, we got like the coolest boat around. Here, fishy, 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 fishy. I mean, here's the deal. Like, and then what happens is, like, every now and then we do get lucky. The cool thing is there are some really hungry fish. And I love, the, I love when fish jump into the boat. It's, like, really cool. Like, I, the, I, we call it the easy harvest. Praise God for the easy harvest. A lot of our church plants, they do that. They go into the community. Everything's old, traditional, and dead. You know, hang out a cool sign, send out a postcard, put some cool music, cool programming. Wow, breath of fresh air in the community. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. Everyone, and then a few other people jump in the boat, and we celebrate church planting. Now, listen, like, I am in no way, in no way critical of attractional stuff, okay? And I think Jesus did both, right? Jesus did some cool attractional stuff, okay? So, like, I think church facilities should be professional, and they should look excellent, and, and what happens in our worship services should be state-of-the-art. So, like, I'm good there. But where I began to struggle is, you know, most pastors, like, they spend all of their time with church members or, like, leaders in the church. Like, when I talk to pastors, they say, man, I just wish, I would love to, like, have your job for, like, a month because, like, I'm so tired of being around church people all the time. I'm like, yeah, man, hanging around non-believers is actually kind of refreshing. Like, they don't, like, you know, they just, like, tell you exactly what they think. They open up their heart. You can have authentic conversation. They don't have to pretend to be holy, and we can get to some really good places quickly. It's actually pretty cool. And when I was pastoring, one of the things that I really missed is the longer I pastored and the bigger the church grew, the more I lost touch with the fish. I think we can do better leaders at this. I think part of the problem is like, you know, how many church activities do we really expect the people in our congregations to participate in every week? Two, three, four, five. And the people are so busy doing church work that they don't have time to do the competitive kingdom work. 
So we, we can do something about that, can't we? There's been a big movement these days with this thing called Simple Church. I haven't read the book. I like the title, though. Simple Church. Our job as leaders is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Let me give you very quickly three constraints to reaching people. Uh, number one, the more a person grows in their faith and ministry responsibilities, the less time they have to invest meaningful time with their non-believing friends, family members, coworkers, or neighbors. Number two, they have a desire to fish, but they don't know how. I want you to dial into this because this is your, your job. This is what you're being equipped to do when you lead a church. The people in your, I believe that there will be a remnant. I don't care if you go to a church that's 100 years old that has 70 people or you start a church or you're a youth pastor. Or a, you'll always find someone in every congregation that loves lost people, right? There's always gonna be someone there. But here's the deal. They have a desire to fish, but they don't know how. They don't know how to have conversations with their unsaved friends because they've been out of touch for so long. They don't know how to lead a Bible study at work or in their neighborhood. They don't know how to explain the gospel. Why would they? Most pastors can't. The church today, and here's the deal, the church today is more interested in equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry inside the four walls of the church. Why? Because we have to keep the church programs running so that we keep the 99 sheep in the pen happy and satisfied so that they keep giving so that we can pay mortgages and salaries. Okay, so don't get caught in that trap. You're young, you're idealistic, like you can set the priorities now for what type of ministry focus you're going to have as a young leader. So, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Equip the saints to go fish. These days, I, I find myself spending a lot of time with business owners. Um, President Gorvet and I had this conversation a few months ago about, about how business owners, business leaders, are finding it, they're finding it uh, challenging to find their place in the church. Okay, because, I mean, they've they got 60, 80-hour weeks. They have enterprises to run, employees to take care of, salaries to pay, deals to finance, to refinance. And so then they show up at church, and the pastor goes, we need workers in the nursery. If you really love Jesus, you're going to, like, serve in the nursery. Okay, and we want workers in the nursery. Okay, I'm all for that. And, 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 and what, I'm finding myself having conversations with, with, with business owners saying, let me ask you, has anyone ever taught you how to be the chief spiritual officer in your business? And I go, no, but everyone wants me to give. Everyone wants me to serve on their board. And everyone wants me to volunteer in the church programs because they need more helpers and more workers. But no one has ever come alongside of me and said, you're the chief spiritual officer. People spend 40, 50 hours a week in your place of, uh, of employment. And, and I'm going to use my business now as a vehicle, a form to change lives. Can you imagine what would happen in North America if, first of all, we reached business people? And then number two, what if we equipped those business men and women to be chief spiritual officers in their enterprise? You might have people three hours a week. That business owner has people 40, 50, 60 hours a week. So we have to figure out how to take the church to where the people are. Yes, let's do more attractional. But we need to find creative ways to be more missional, which leads to the third point. Fishing is serious. It's a contact sport, and it is a strategic sport. How are we doing on time? Let me wrap her up here real quickly. Fishing is a strategic sport. 
Um, bring up the next slide here. Next one here. All right. Here we go. Antoine Randewell, a client of Leadership League. Uh, we are, did Antoine's life plan. Antoine's a Super Bowl 40 champion. Good man, loves Christ. And actually spoke at a Wesleyan church in Western PA back at Easter. So here, here he is at my house. And Antoine grew up in inner city Chicago and lives in D.C. now. And um, really wanted some sort of authentic country experience fishing. Now understand, I, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know how to fish. But when, when I talked to Antoine that Tuesday and I knew he was coming into town on Friday. And he's saying, I want to take my, and you can see he's got a pretty big family there too. Because I want to take my, my wife and kids and we want to go fishing. And we have a, a, a creek that flows behind our house. It's a little trout stream. And so, like, now, I don't own anything. I don't own fishing poles, hooks, bait. But you know what's beautiful about the information age is there's this thing called Google, right? It's, like, amazing. Like, access to information is awesome. And being competitive, like, I, I, I told Marcus, I told Marcus and Jericho, I said, we have to deliver on this experience. Uh, an important client of Leadership League, you know, we, he wants to catch fish in Pittsburgh at our house on the weekend. So we did all this research on Google. You know, here's, so like there are very strategic ways to catch trout. And by the way, the strategy changes based on the type of fish you're trying to catch too, right? Okay, so, and so like we found out the exact size of hook you had to have, the exact line, the perfect rods. And we went out and we, we stored up with all the equipment and we went Saturday morning at 11 o'clock fishing. And we walked around back, and there was actually someone who parked in our cul-de-sac who walked around back who was fishing there as well. And he had been there since like six in the morning. And I was quite concerned because I asked him, I said, how are the fish? Are they biting today? He said, nope, not a good day. He says, uh, he said, we, I caught one since 6 a.m. So now I have like, you know, I'm feeling some like, you know, performance anxiety. Okay. I'm like, okay, boy, I hope our strategy is going to work. So we were there for one hour, and every single one caught a fish. And I think there you can count one, two, three, four, five, what, six or seven fish up there. We caught six or seven fish in one hour. You know why? We had a better strategy. And, and, and as, we, as, as we walked away, I asked the guy, I said, how long have you been fishing? He said, oh, I've been fishing for 40 years. And it kind of reminded me of, like, you know, the church that's been around forever, Right? And then they get really angry and frustrated at that new church that opens up in town and catches all these fish. Huh? Success or failure in fishing is highly dependent on strategy. Listen, as forceful men and women, as competitive men and women, you should grow your strategic muscle. Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, said, I want you to be as innocent as a dove and as wise as a serpent. In other words, don't let those leaders in the marketplace be more strategic than you are. You be the most strategic man. You be the most strategic woman in the universe. Why? For bottom line business results? For Super Bowl trophies? No. For lost souls. Amen? See, these days, I'm turned 40 this year. I spent 10 years leading attractional type churches and consulting with denominations on how to do attractional church better. And the Lord really began to um, 
impress on my heart that we had to find a way to get the gospel into the center of the marketplace because we were just really reaching de-churched people. And by and large, we weren't taking the kind of ground for the kingdom that, that, that I know we're capable of taking. So for the last 10 years, as, as President Gorvet said, we've been, I believe that sports is the language of the culture. And so we partner with NFL teams, like NFL teams pay us to go in there, oftentimes like Jewish executives. So we're like a secular company that has mission at the core of everything that we do. We actually go into NFL teams or work with NFL players and we get paid for our services. And the really cool thing is while we're inside of these locker rooms and as we're inside of the front office of these teams, guess who we find? We find men who love Christ. See, this is the as innocent as a dove and as wise as a serpent thing. And then what we do is we'll say to them things like, hey, what if we work together and we created a leadership event here at the stadium and we had all the front office people participate. We had some players and we were teaching business people lessons from the Pittsburgh Steelers or leadership lessons from the New York Jets. Oh, and by the way, make sure when you're up speaking, make sure you share the gospel. You know what's really cool? Like if I get up and share the gospel too, if I have 100 business executives in the room and they hear me talk about loving Jesus, they're gonna boo me off the stage. But like when their favorite athlete or like the president of the team talks about his or his journey from lost to found. They, oh, wasn't that the coolest thing in the world? That's so cool. A new strategy that we implemented last year, I wanna just tell you this, this story. A new strategy, people love to cruise these days. How many of you have ever been on a, on a cruise? Been on a cruise? Okay. So cruise ships, like you know, 2,000 to 4,000 people, um, we did a joint venture project with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We're doing one this year with the New York Jets called, it was, it was the, the Steelers Cruise. The team, it was the team event. They promoted the event on their website, their season ticket holders. And so we put 2,000 fans and 30 current and former players on a cruise ship. Now, being as wise as a serpent, we were the production partner, Leadership League. And so I knew it was very important that we had men and their families on that cruise who loved Christ. So over 20 of the players who participated in the Steelers cruise were believers. And we had like Super Bowl rewind. This is a secular event. This is not a Christian program. But we had a chapel service every day. Like, so we're working on this like cruise evangelism project. I know Dr. Wilson, you're a cruiser. That's a Dr. Gorbett. So like, we're working on this really cool cruise evangelism project. So first day at chapel on the, on the cruise, 100, 100 out of 2,000 people participated. Day two, went to like 300. Day three, 700. Day four, we had to move from the Colony Club into the theater because it grew to 1,000 people. And every day, we had different players sharing the gospel. On the final day, our chaplain, we coached him ahead of time. We equipped him for the job. We made sure that his head was in the game, that he had the right focus. This was not just about some cool little kumbaya chapel. We were praying for a harvest. And on the final day, we had 15 people come forward. We did an, we did an altar call. Larry Foote, Steelers linebacker, preached. He did the altar call. 15 people came forward to Christ. And that afternoon, on the Steelers cruise in the middle of the Caribbean, we had a baptism. We have a picture of that. Go to the next one here. Here we go. So here's the cool, actually, the, the, uh, that far upper, I feel like a missionary showing a slide. But in that far left picture, that's my mother-in-law. In the middle there is Larry Foote. And then the woman with the number seven jersey is actually, she was a 
Jewish lady from New York City who's a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And she said to herself, I came on this cruise because I'm a Steelers fan, I'm Jewish, but I learned in chapel this week that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. So, we're, 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 over the next three or four years, we're going to roll out 15 to 20 of these, these sports, professional sports team cruises. And we're trusting that we're gonna see hundreds, maybe thousands of people reached just by having a fun five-day experience with their favorite sports team. Fishing is a serious sport. It's a contact sport. It's a strategic sport. So be creative. Be experimental. New forms of church are going to emerge. New forms of mission are going to emerge. So be competitive and be innovative. And then the fourth and most important is fishing is a supernatural sport. It's most important. Remember when Jesus told Peter to cast his nets out and Peter's like, it's been a bad day at work. He said, but Lord, but because you say so, I'll do it. And then there was a miracle catch. So big that his partners had to, had to help because the nets were, were breaking and they couldn't hold the harvest. And then I read the book of Acts and I see the phrase over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said. There have been four Holy Spirit said moments in my life. Now I know some of you hear from God every day. Like I'd like to figure that one out. But there have been four Holy Spirit moments in my life. One was when I was trying to win my mother to Christ and invite her to church on Easter less, less than a year of me being a Christian. And her excuse was I don't have any Easter clothes. And I said to my mother, I said, Mom, if I buy you an Easter outfit, will you go to church with me? And she knew I had no money. So she was in the advantage seat. And she said, oh yeah, I'll take up that. If you can, if you can buy me an Easter outfit, I will I'll go to church with you. Holy Spirit moment. The first major Holy Spirit said moment in my life. The Lord said, I want you to pray for $100. So right there, we were walking down the street in our neighborhood. I said, Mom, let's pray about this because I'm gonna find a way to pay for Easter. I said, Lord Jesus, I want my mother to know you personally. And Lord, I want her to go to church with me this Easter. First Wesleyan Church in Newcastle, PA. We prayed. Less than two minutes later, walking down the road, there was a $100 bill sitting there on the sidewalk. My mother was saved even before she got to church. Okay, by the way, where is um, Noah? Noah, is Noah here? Noah? Where's Noah? Noah, you're the man. Noah, awesome supernatural work in New York City was telling, telling me that story last night. You know what I like about being with Wesleyans is we don't explain away the supernatural. When I'm like, when I'm like around Baptists, I can't tell these stories. Like, oh, he sounds a little too Pentecostal for me. <laughs> Holy Spirit does stuff, guys. Okay, the Holy Spirit said, second big Holy Spirit said moment for me was Impact 90, Wesleyan Youth Convention in Cincinnati, Ohio. Last day, if you feel called to ministry that you're gonna surrender, wherever you go, Lord, wherever you send me, Lord, I will go. And I walked forward and I knew my heart was pounding. I knew I was leaving the family business. I knew I wasn't gonna spend my life trying to figure out how to make more and better plastic hangers. That was a Holy Spirit said moment for me. A third Holy Spirit said moment was when 
a professor at Indiana Wesleyan said, I think you're the only one that has the guts to go to North Dakota. And I knew no one, uh, but I signed up for this six-week internship. And actually, the day before I left, I almost like bailed out on it because I'm like, I'm going to North Dakota. Why am I going to North Dakota? I got on an airplane, landed in Williston, North Dakota, because the Holy Spirit said, and I met my wife there. <laughs> and I met the finest spiritual mentor that any man or woman can have, President Gorvette. Changed my life. And the fourth Holy Spirit moment was when, after a decade of vocational ministry, the Lord said, Damien, I'm sending you back into the marketplace. And for the last decade, we've been trying to figure out how to do good through sport, how to fish as strategically as we possibly can by leveraging sport to reach people with the gospel. You gotta have a Holy Spirit said moment or two if you're going to fish. Amen. Dial into the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When God gives you a dream, when God gives you a, a direction, grab a hold of it, internalize, make it sacred, and don't let anyone around you take you off course. And you will be misunderstood. You'll do things that be like, what in the world is he or she doing? I don't know, the Holy Spirit said. Father, thank you for this wonderful group. Thank you, Lord, for using this regular guy from Pittsburgh to stand up and challenge and encourage this group of men and this group of women to go into the world the way that you went into the world. And God, I pray that this group of men, this group of women would represent hundreds of thousands of people that are gonna come to know Christ because of the efforts and the focus and the dreams and the goals of these students. I thank you for President Gorvet. I thank you that he is a missional man who loves missional leaders and wants to see more missional churches started and strengthened all around the world. I pray that the, the focus of Kingswood, the focus of President Gorvet and, and, and the professors and, 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 and the board of trustees of this wonderful institution, I pray that that missional focus would just permeate every corner of the world through the Wesleyan Church. I pray these things in the strong, wonderful, awesome, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.